Over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, there was an awakening. 120 people were gathered in an upper room and they experienced the move of God. And it's this explosive beginning of His church. The movement continues today. We are the disciples who are being formed and filled. We are the disciples who are learning to fast and pray. We are the ones who are learning to listen and to obey, to seek His face and to show His love to the world around us. And God longs to pour out the fullness of His Spirit and we are united in our pursuit of Him. And God is awakening His church that we would awaken the world. Welcome to Cross Point, and we have been praying for an awakening. We've been praying that God would awaken us, that he would awaken our hearts, that he would awaken our families, awaken our neighborhoods, that he would awaken the city. And you know how God wakes up the city? One person at a time. One person at a time. That's how awakening happens. It's one person at a time. That's one of the reasons I love Baptism Sunday, because you know how we baptize people? One person at a time. We don't batch them, clump them in there together. We don't see how many people we can fit in the tub. It's, it's one one person at a time, because it's not about the, the volume of how many people, it's about the value of the one. It's about the value of the one. Jesus teaches us a story in Luke chapter 15. He teaches us a story about the value of the one. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 15. We'll pick up in verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, what we've got is a diverse crowd. We've got a diverse group of people. We've got two groups of people. We've got the tax collectors and the sinners over here, and then we've got those who are the religious crowd. We've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious crowd. So you could say we have the insiders on one hand and we have the outsiders on the other. So two groups of people, the insiders and the outsiders. You've got people who think that they're on the inside track with God, and then you've got people who are well aware that, uh, that they're outside of that. And they feel outside. And, and, and maybe it was because of a decision they made. Maybe it was something they did. Maybe it was something that was done to them. Maybe it was circumstances that were beyond their control. Uh, maybe it was where they were born or the family that they were born into. Or maybe it was how they were raised. Or maybe it was the color of their skin. But if you're anything like me, there have been times in your life where you've felt like an outsider. See, shame is a powerful force. But there's a force more powerful than shame. It's love. And it's grace. And it's acceptance. And it's hospitality. See, Jesus had a way of loving the shame off of people. And that's what we see in this passage. That love is more powerful than shame. In fact, it says that their criticism of Jesus is that this man welcomes. It says they muttered. I don't know what it sounds like when someone... I, I don't know. I don't know what a muttering voice sounds like. I'm not even going to try. Um, but it says that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so these insiders are saying, Jesus, if you keep, if you keep bringing outsiders to the table, how are they going to know that they're outside? If you keep bringing them to the table and to share a meal in that day was a significant gesture of love and of hospitality to bring them to the table. And, and Jesus sees what's going on with these insiders and how they want him to keep outsiders Outside, and he teaches this through a parable. He gives them his message. Verse 3 And Jesus told them this parable Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, a couple things we can learn from this passage we can pull from this story is that the first is you can tell what matters to somebody by what they're looking for. You can tell what matters to somebody by what they're looking for. And people, some people are looking for fame and some for glory and some for power, some for wealth, some for acceptance, some for security. Some people are looking for the thing that they didn't get in home growing up. And so they're out looking for that thing. But what Jesus wants us to know is what he's looking for, what matters to him. People matter to God. People matter to Jesus. People who have lost their way, people who have been overlooked, people who have been undervalued, people who because of decisions that they've made, because of the shame that they've experienced or shame that other people have made them experience, people who are hurting and in need of hope, Jesus said, I am looking for them. Second thing we learn is you can tell how much something matters by how hard you look for it. You can tell how much something matters by how hard you're willing to look for it. Remember when my son Durham, when he was nine years old, we were at the county fair and we lost him. That's not a great place. The county fair is not a great place to lose a kid. There's, I really don't know of a good place, but, but that's definitely not a good place. And so anxiety and fear begins to rise. And in that moment when Reese said, we can't find Durham, in that moment, I didn't say, it's okay, Reese. We still have three more kids. <laughs> I didn't. We went in an all-out rescue mission called Operation Try to Find Durham. I mean, we're, we're looking for him. So we are, and what Jesus wants us to know is that he is on an all-out rescue mission for those who have lost their way. And he's not giving up until he finds them. There is a pursuit going on. That's what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. And what these religious leaders, what they forgot, here's what they forgot, is that they were lost too. They forgot that they were in, in need of repentance too. They forgot that they had lost their way. See, the Bible teaches that all have sinned that all fall short of the glory of God. It's talked about in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who's him? It's Jesus. So we've all sinned. We've all lost our way. We all like sheep have gone. And that Hebrew word all, do you know what it means? All, everybody. Every single person has gone astray. This video, I want you to watch this. This is a, I believe this is an accurate representation of the scripture we just read. Proper exegesis of that passage. Check this video out. This is us. <laughs> that is a live look from Broadway last night. That's a, this is... This is what, as humans, what we do. We've all lost our way. We all end up in the ditch in life. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm looking for the one that's in the ditch. Has anybody ever ended up in the ditch? Anybody want to raise their hand? Confession is good for your soul. This, this is the reality of life that in some way or another, we've all ended up in the ditch. Even the religious leaders ended up in the ditch. Hmm. They were lost too. You know what you call it when a letter is supposed to reach someone and you send a letter 
and it doesn't reach the person it's supposed to reach, you know what they call that letter? Lost in the mail. These religious leaders were lost in the mail because the message that they had had gotten lost along the way. We all lose our way, and Jesus wants us to know that he's the shepherd who's going after the lost sheep. In John 10, 16, he says this way, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This passage, Jesus is talking about Gentiles. He's talking about non-Jews. I came for the Jews, but I've also come for the non-Jews. I've come for all, for Jews and for Gentiles. Jesus is telling us he is the shepherd who's going after the sheep that are not of this pen, that he's not content. He's not content just sitting with the insiders. Jesus is going to rescue those who are on the outside. Now, what we have in, this, in, this, in, in the scriptures and what it teaches us, it teaches us the story of how God has chosen the, the nation of Israel and its, and its people. And that we see through, through the scriptures, God makes a promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm, I'm making you a promise with you that, that you will be, your offspring will be my people. He promises them a, a land and he promises them um, an offspring. He promised to make you into a nation and that he will bless the world through that lineage, that through that lineage, that he will bring about a Messiah. He'll bring, bring about a savior. He'll bring about one who will, who will deal with the misery and death and brokenness of this world. And that God, he will be their people and they will be belong to him. And so this is, this is what's going on in these religious leaders in Luke chapter 15. The religious leaders are extremely focused on, on how to, what the way is that they can preserve their identity as the people of God. And so especially when they're under Roman rule, especially under Roman occupation, especially under the oppression of Rome, how to preserve their identity as the people of God. And they were hyper-focused on, on external boundary markers, on external boundary markers, things like dietary laws and circumcision and Sabbath keeping as a way of preserving their identity with God. And the way it was looked at is this, that if you do what we do, then you're in. But if you don't do what we're doing, then you're out. Another way to say this, if you're, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, behave like us and believe like us, well, then you can belong with us. That if you behave like us, and, and then if you believe like us, then you can belong with us. And this is the way, then you're not an outsider anymore, this is the way of Judaism in the first century, and it's the way of sixth grade at J.E. Richards Middle School. Now, in sixth grade, I left a, a, a school that I'd grown up in from kindergarten to fifth grade, and, uh, and I left a, a small school and went to a large middle school where I knew absolutely nobody. And I can remember the first day of school, walking into the lunchroom with the tray, and I remember walking in going, I have no idea where to sit. I have no idea who my people are. I have no idea who will let me sit with them. And I can remember being so lonely. And the other thing I remember about that first day of school was being introduced to Bugle Boy jeans. Bugle Boy jeans. This picture, this was the cool, these were the cool kids. These, I think this is actually a picture from my, no, this is, this is, this is, a, this is a picture of sixth grade for me. And the cool kids had Bugle Boy jeans. Now, I did not have Bugle Boy jeans. 
I had rustlers. Rustler jeans. Anybody remember rustler jeans? There's seven of us. And, and rustler jeans, they were, um, they were not the cool jeans. They were not Bugle Boys. They, were the jeans. they came in two, two sizes. They came in regular and husky. And I was of the husky persuasion. And I, I remember having my rustlers and looking at them and go, if I just had Bugle Boy jeans, then I'd be cool. If I just had Bugle Boy jeans, then Jimmy Haygood would invite me to sit at their table. I remember that. Hey, Jimmy. And so I remember like... I remember thinking, man, if I could just have those jeans, because the, the, the standard operation of sixth grade at Richards Middle School was if you, if you behave like us, if you wear what we wear, if you, if you talk like we do, if you, if you think like we do, if you, if you behave like us and you believe like us, well, then you can belong with us. And Jesus came, this is, and this is the way of the religious spirit in Jesus' day. That if you behave like us and believe like us, then you'll belong with us. If you talk like us and act like us and think like us and believe like us, well, then you'll belong with us. But Jesus brings a different pattern. He flips it on its head. He welcomes sinners. He said, you can belong with me. You can belong with me until you believe in me. And then I'll help you become like me. So it moves from behave Believe, belong, to belong, believe, and then become. He says, you just come spend time around me until you put your faith and your trust in me, and then I will help you become like me. That's the power of the Spirit of God working in our lives. And this, you could say, this is a major theme in the book of Acts, getting this order right. As the, as the gospel goes from the Jews to the Gentiles, that we keep the right order. And we've talked about how there's this movement in the book of Acts. In the very first one, we talked about how when the Spirit of God moves in the, in the book of Acts, early in the book of Acts, it goes, things go from, from the temple to the people. The next move we find is that the church or the headquarters of the church goes from Jerusalem to Antioch. The third movement in the book of Acts we talked about last week was it goes from Peter as the primary leader to Paul. And today, the movement I want us to look at is this movement from, from the gospel being presented to the Jews and it being predominantly a movement among the Jews to including the Gentiles, extending to the Gentiles. Luke authors this gospel that we read through, that we read that parable from. And Luke also authored Acts. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but Luke is the very first, he's really the only Gentile author in Scripture. He's the only non-Jew that, that wrote that God used to give us scripture to write through. And, and Luke gives us, this, gives us this story in the, in the gospel of Luke. It's a story about the life of Jesus. And, and then in the, in the book of Acts, it's the story of the movement of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the local church. And in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we gives this verse that we've been We've been looking at it, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this verse is, this verse is like a um, it's like table of contents for the book. And so the, it begins in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And ends of the earth is code language for Gentiles going to the Gentiles. Now, why does Jesus turn the disciples outward? Here's why. Because it is the natural tendency of any group to turn inward. It is the natural, this is why once we have our place at the table in the lunchroom, we stop caring about other people finding their place. 
because that is the natural tendency of a group is to turn inward. A supernatural tendency is to look outward, to look for those who don't have their place. And so Jesus turns, Acts 1-8, he turns the disciples outward. Why does he do that? Because in Acts 1-6, the disciple goes, when is the kingdom coming for us? They're already focused inward. And Jesus turns them outward. He says, it's not about us, it's about them. It's about those who are not yet apart. And what we see in the book of Acts is, and sociologists tell us, this is the very first time in history that a group existed for those who were not a part of the group. It's the first time in history that a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational community did not exist for itself, but exists for the outsiders. Up until this point, groups were tribal. They were all about self-preservation. They were all about self-protection. It, it, was, it was all about a group being for itself. This is the first time that a group was motivated by compassion and for love and lived with, with self-giving and, and self-sacrificial love. I mean, movements before that were, about, were advanced by shedding other people's blood. And in the early church, we see a movement that moves forward that was willing to shed their own blood so that other people would experience the gospel. It's powerful. Insiders that don't live for themselves, but that live for those who are outside so that they may experience the gospel as well. And chapters 13 through 28 is all about the gospel going to the Gentiles and the Roman Empire. And the apostle Paul is traveling from city to city. He's going from city. He's like on this, he takes three major road trips or these mission trips where he goes from town to town and using the Roman road system that had gone through the Roman Empire and using that to, to share the gospel. And when he would go to a town, it would be the same pattern. First, he would go to the Jews and then he would go to the Gentiles. First, he would go to the synagogue and he would proclaim the gospel. He would proclaim the truth that Jesus is the Messiah that's come for the forgiveness and reconciliation of mankind with God. God, and he would proclaim that, and some people believed, and then some people didn't, and usually the people that didn't, they either, they either ran him off or they stirred up a riot, and, and sometimes the Apostle Paul, once they run him off, then he would go to the center of town, and he would tell anybody and everybody who would listen. Tradition says that there would be moments where he would take his, he would take his, his cloak, and he would lower his cloak so people could see his back, so that they could see his scars. The Apostle Paul, with his scars and with the marks that were on his back of the persecution and the beating that he had experienced for Christ, he would draw a crowd. And once he draw, drew a crowd, he would preach the gospel to them. And there would be this community that would be, be, be formed. And he would form this community, and he'd stay with them a while, and he would teach them the scriptures and the truth, the gospel, Teach them how to love one another, and then he would go to another town. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, planted 20 churches among the Gentiles. And what's happening is God is moving in a powerful way, and Gentiles, they're being saved, and they're putting their faith in Christ, and their lives are being changed, and they're being baptized, they're being filled with the Spirit of God, and churches are being formed. And this raises a, a, a major issue. Um, and the leaders back in Jerusalem are like, what about the boundary markers? Like, what about the boundary markers? And so they're like, what about, what about this? This creates like this debate among the early Christian leaders. Should we ask the Gentile Christians to practice circumcision and follow other Jewish customs in order to be Christians? So should we require them to practice? Can you imagine that, that uh, you know, next steps class? Hey, guys, we're glad you're at um, the church at Antioch. Glad you're here today um, and you want to be followers of Jesus. First thing you've, I'm going to talk about this thing called circumcision, like circum what? And so, well, let me, no, I mean, this is, this, <laughs> okay. And um, 
I mean, this is, the, this is where they were at, like that they were saying, should we require them to, to do this to be a part of the faith? And so they're, um, they're having this, Paul and Silas, go back to Jerusalem and have the conversation with the council of Jerusalem. And, and the leaders, here's what they determined. First is that God had already accepted the Gentiles. The second is that they would not burden them with this. And the third is that they were saved by grace through faith. Look at what they said. They said, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So in other words, we're not going to put behavior on the front end. It's still going to be belong, believe, and then become. But there were three things that they asked of those Gentiles who had put their faith in Jesus. Once they put their faith in Jesus, there are three things that they asked. They said, first, abstain from food that had been sacrificed to idols and from pagan practices and from sexual morality. Why did they say this? Because these three things were the way their lives were before Jesus. This was their life before Jesus. So he's like, we're not gonna go back to, we're not gonna go back to idolatry. We're not gonna go back to these pagan practices. We're not gonna go back to the sexual morality that was a part of life before Jesus. And so he gives them these things, not, not as entrance requirements into the kingdom of God, but as family values once we're in. So they weren't putting behavior on the front end. They were saying, you believe in Jesus and then the spirit of God begins to work in your life. And in this community, these 20 churches that the Apostle Paul planted, and people were accepted and brought in and loved, and there was a community that was formed where the gospel was at the center, and where they were equals, required their, regardless of their ethnicity or their gender or their economic status. And what caused the movement of Jesus to spread so fast was not advertising. It wasn't search engine optimization. It wasn't ad placement in the Super Bowl. What caused the movement to spread so fast was the truth of the gospel, the power of the spirit, and the love of the church. The truth of the gospel, the power of the spirit, and the love of the church. That's what, that's what caused it to move so rapidly. And I think sometimes we overlook the power of love. Man, I can remember that first day I was, after lunch, sitting at lunch alone, I was determined I was going to fake sick the second day of school. Like, I'm just going to be sick. I don't know what kind of sickness I'm going to get, but I'm going to be sick. And I remember I was scheming on how to be sick the second day of school, but I didn't because of what happened the last period of the day. Last period of the day, I had chorus, and I'll never forget, I went into chorus, and the teacher, her name was Miss Benita Moon. And I guess she could tell that I was struggling. I guess she could tell that I was having a hard time. And she, she said to me, um, she said to me, she, she began a conversation with me and she just demonstrated such kindness and such love. And I remember at the end of the, at the, end of the class, first day of school, as I was leaving the class, she, um, she said, I'll see you tomorrow, Kevin. And it occurred to me, what I realized is that was the first time that anybody had said my name that day without a sheet of paper in front of them. Like she remembered my name. And I think it was Dale Carnegie who said, the sweetest sound to a person's ear or his or her own name. I had never read that in How to Win Friends and Influence People, but I experienced that from Miss Benita Moon. And I'll never, I called her this week. I don't even know if it's legal to look up your sixth grade teacher on Facebook, but I, I did. I just, I called her 
called her this week and, uh, and had a conversation with her. And I was just like, thank you. And I was like, I was like do you remember me? And she said, how can I forget you? I was like, here you are again, making me feel a certain kind of way. Like, <laughs> just like that's love. That's grace. It's acceptance. That's hospitality. It's making space for other people. If you're an educator, that's the opportunity that you have. Changes people's lives. That's what the early church was known for. Truth of the gospel, power of the spirit, and their love. Jesus said, this is how they'll know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Rhea and I talk a lot about how the heart's greatest desire is to be known and loved. Tim Keller talks about this, and he says, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be loved and not known is superficial. But man, when somebody knows you and loves you, he said, that's a lot like what God does. Because God knows you the best and he loves you the most. He knows you by name. He calls you by name. Man, it's wonderful when Miss Benita Moon remember my name. But God calls you by name. He calls you to himself. That's the invitation today. The invitation of baptism is to go public with faith in Jesus. It's the invitation of God. And I want to go back to that order. It is, it's belong, believe, and then become. Baptism, baptism is designed to be the first thing we do after we place our faith in Jesus. But I think some people put it off because they think I've got to behave a certain kind of way before I'm baptized. But you don't clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and then by the power of the Spirit, he works in your heart and he transforms and he changes your life. And so for some today, that step of baptism, maybe it's something that you haven't done that God's stirring your heart that you need to do. Well, today can be, can be your day. And it requires courage. It requires power. And this is one of the evidence of the Spirit of God working in our hearts. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to finish up with this story. Acts chapter 19. I want you to see the power and the boldness in this passage. And it was in our reading this week. We'll pick up in verse 23. It says, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That was one of the things they called the early movement of Jesus. Christianity, they called it the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers and related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in, the, in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess, the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So Ephesus is the center of Artemis worship. And these people were making idols and they were making a really good business doing this. And, uh, and people are turning from idols to Jesus, which Jesus was really bad for their business. So Jesus is affecting the local economy, and Demetrius stirs up the crowd. And look at verse 28. It says, when they heard this, they were furious, 
and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And soon the whole city was in an uproar. And the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. And Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him in, would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Now, here is a picture of the theater in Ephesus. So I want you, this is 25,000 people could fit in this theater. Larger than Bridgetown Arena. People are gathered together. They're gathered and the place is filled with people who were saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they hate Paul and they hate his message. They hate the gospel. They want to kill him. And there's this verse. Did you notice it? Verse 30, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him in. Let me show you another picture. This is a picture of the tunnel leading into that arena. Can you just imagine with me standing there with the Apostle Paul? Where he's standing there, he's like, let me in there. I, I want to go in. He doesn't know all of what's around the corner, but he's driven by such love, compassion, courage, boldness. It's the Spirit of God. Faith, you say, I don't know what's going to happen, but they've got to hear. Because Artemis will leave them in a ditch, but Jesus will not. They need to hear the message of Jesus. He had a disregard for what would happen to him. That's courage, that's boldness. I wonder, where is God calling you to take a next step of faith? Where you don't know what's around the corner. But you know that God is calling you to take that next step of faith. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have. Maybe it's a, an opportunity to, to share the gospel with somebody. Maybe it's to step away from something or to step toward what God is calling you to. What's the next step? So let me talk with you about a couple in, in closing. Let me give you an invitation to three groups of people today. The first is those who feel like an outsider. Maybe it was, it's been because of something that you've experienced, but you feel like an outsider and you need to know Jesus has, Jesus gave his life so that you could experience forgiveness, so that you could experience grace, so you could experience new life with God, so you could be made one with God, so you could experience life with him. And today the invitation would be to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time because he's been pursuing you. Your whole life he's been pursuing you. And can today can be that day that you put your faith and trust in him. The second would be um, for those who are inside who have made a decision to follow Christ, but, but you've never been baptized. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we see that whenever somebody put their faith in Jesus, there was this moment of, of going public with their faith. And, and maybe you would say that you're inside the faith, but things have, have stalled out. And maybe one of the reasons that things have stalled out is because you haven't done the first thing that he asks us to do as followers of Jesus. You said, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And maybe you've been learning 
how to become like Jesus, but you've kind of balked on the first thing that he's called you to. And we want you to know God's grace is here for you. And this is an environment where you can go public with your faith. And today can be the day for that. I'm going to pray for boldness and for courage for you to take that next step. And then the third would be for us as a, as a church. Um, if we go back to, um, to Luke 15, Jesus' mission is to seek and save that which is lost. And this mission continues through the local church. This is our mandate. This is what we're called to do. And the three things we learned from that parable, the first is, is what we are seeking for reveals what matters to us. You can tell what matters to a church by what they're looking for. Second is you can tell what matters by how hard we're willing to search for it. And the third is, I didn't give that one to you yet, so this is bonus, is that you can tell what matters by how hard people celebrate when they find the thing that they were looking for. And today, we have an opportunity to celebrate church on Baptism Sunday, our first baptism of the day. And I wanted you to get a chance to hear Carly's story, and then after she's baptized, we can celebrate. I met Jesus November, 2022, but I didn't give my life to him until recently. I struggled with living for the world and developing a relationship with God at the same time for the past year. I was a singer at a popular bar on Broadway and promoted a lifestyle that was so far from God and it troubled me, but I didn't wanna give up the life I had built for myself. This past January, I lost my voice and I couldn't sing anymore. My heart was heavy because I knew that God was trying to tell me something. One night I called out to Jesus, begging him to heal my voice, the gift he had given me. He challenged me to quit my job as a singer and give my whole self to him. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. I chose to sacrifice my finances and my career to him. This past month has been difficult financially and emotionally, but the Lord has filled me with his peace. He completely healed my vocal cords and I'm back to full health. I can no longer keep my faith hidden and I'm ready and excited to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I'm ready to sing for the only one worthy of praise. going to keep that celebration going. Carly, thank you for your, for your courage, for your boldness to lead us out today. So I want to lead us in a prayer. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me to do inventory of your own heart? Has there ever been a moment where you've put your faith in Jesus? Has there ever been a moment where you have put your trust in him to receive the forgiveness comes from the cross, the new life that he offers to begin to walk with him. If that's you and you want to receive that today, then let me give you an opportunity. 
be the most important prayer that you pray. Pray something like this. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Right now, I give my life to you. I put my trust in you. I want to live for you here on earth. Spend eternity with you in heaven. Thank you for saving me. Father, I pray for those that made that their prayer. Would you give them the courage to go public, to tell somebody, to tell somebody the decision that they made? And then today, as a church, would you give courage to those who, who need to go public with their faith, who need to take that step of baptism? God, whether they had it planned on their calendar or whether you're drawing them today and it's on your calendar, God, would you give them the courage that they need? And then as a church, would you teach us, Jesus, your heart for the one? Would we celebrate with the angels in heaven over each one who gives their life to you? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So let's continue to worship and celebrate baptism together.